Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. You're so welcome. It is great to see the top half of all of your faces. Um, it's going to be really helpful for me to know whether you're enjoying this or not. Like, if you're enjoying it, like, eyebrows up. If you're really not enjoying it, eyebrows are going to be down. So it's really, really good to see you all. Also, you're so welcome, everybody who is joining us at home. And I know that you're in your pajamas. I just know that. Like, I was in my pajamas until 1.30 yesterday, and it was wonderful. Um, and I can't wait for some more of that. I hope you had a wonderful weird little Christmas. It's become tradition for us that on the last Sunday service in December, we take some time to reflect on the year that has passed. So I've been asked to lead us in a 2020 reflection. So um, here, here we go. 2020 can go do one. Um, yeah, okay, good talk, everybody. Thanks a lot, James. Do you guys want to come on up? Um, what just happened in 2020? This is the cover of Time magazine from a couple of weeks ago. It should appear on your screens. Yeah, 2020, the worst year ever. Already this year has been described as the lost year. And for so many of us, this is what we want to do with 2020, right? We just want to scratch it out, tell it to go do one. But I think we've got to take some time to reflect on this year. There's a term that I've heard a lot about this year. It's the term optimism bias. And this year has proven once again that I and probably each of us, we are biased towards optimism. Things will get better. Things will get better in the future. And in the in-between space between the mess that we're in and the brighter days that are ahead of us, We've got a number of choices to make. Either we can just delude ourselves into thinking everything's grand, I'm fine, or we can self-medicate or distract ourselves between here and there, or we can just push really hard like good Northern Irish people to get to those optimistic days quicker. Optimism leaves no room for reflection. Let's just scratch out 2020, tell it to go do one, and let's look ahead but we follow Jesus. Jesus who told us, in this world you will have trouble. We were never promised easy, optimistic days all of the time. Optimism bias simply doesn't cut it. We need something so much more than that. And while this year has been full of troubles, I'm so thankful that the one that I follow continued the conversation by saying, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We need to learn to lean on the hope that Jesus offers us, not just the optimism that we can whip up in and through our lives. Here's the thing. Regardless of whatever has happened this year, or regardless of how we feel about it, it is so important for us to take a moment or a few moments in these days to reflect upon 2020, not just scratch it out, and tell it to go do one. This has been a confusing year. Our whole world is confused, but also our own inner worlds are confused as well. And yet consistently, Jesus is wanting to lead us from the land of confusion into the land of hope. 
and we get, to go, we get to go there to move in the direction from confusion to hope. Whenever we learn to articulate what has gone on with us, whenever we get to be realistic about what has happened in our own little worlds, we get the opportunity to name our experiences. We get the opportunity to articulate what has truly gone on so that we won't become a victim to ourselves or our surroundings, but also so that we can remove the obstacles that allow the Spirit to come and fill us once again. As Henry Nyan put it, we get to articulate what has truly gone on because there is one who is able to create space. He is able to come and fill us. He whose heart is greater than ours, whose eyes see more than our eyes see, those whose hands can heal more than our hands can. I don't want to get stuck in 2020. I don't want to get stuck in the, the time frame of 2020. I also don't want to get stuck in the mindset of 2020. I don't want to get my inner world landed in a place of confusion forever with a narrow expectation of what the kingdom of God is like. And so it's so important to take time to prayerfully contemplate and articulate what has gone on. 2020 demands reflection. And why? Because we know from following Jesus, but also from being human, that hard things, troubling things, tribulations, crucible moments, and cruciform moments, they are what make us, form us, and shape us like no other things. Easy days don't require reflection, but easy days don't lead to resurrection. And so today, what I want to do is I want to set all of you up for a time of reflection, whether you're here with us in the building or whether you're at home in your pajamas this morning. I want to set you all up for reflection. It's a weird Christmas break, right? It's so strange. It's quieter. There's pretty much nothing that we can really do. And so there is an opportunity for us, particularly in the next couple of weeks, to sit by the fire that little bit longer, to pour another cup of coffee, to have lingering conversations with our families, to go for a walk before eight o'clock, obviously, and take time to reflect. And so today, I'm just going to get you started on your time of reflection, and then it's going to be over to you to do the work. Today's 321 email, which has just landed in your inbox, it will be a guide to help you through your time of reflection. But where do we start? How on earth can we begin to reflect on this year? With so much that has shifted, we need a grid, we need a framework to help us process everything that has taken place this year. And for me, the best place to turn is towards the wisdom of the scriptures. And so I want to share with you a framework that I've thought about a lot this year. So I'd love you to turn with me, if you've got a Bible with you here, or if you've got a Bible with you at home, to open up your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. This framework it is the opposite of optimism bias. And in fact, I believe this framework is the seabed for a transformed life. I don't have time to get into the detail of it, but let me just read Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. 
and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. As we look back on 2020, this is the most important thing to remember. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character produces hope. Despite all the troubles that we've been through, and despite all the troubles that we're probably also going to go through, Jesus is not done with us yet. He is still wanting to transform us even in the midst of the mess that we find ourselves in. So let's work through this grid from Romans chapter 5 together. The truth is, is that we can't escape suffering. We are invited as followers of Jesus to follow our leader, the suffering servant. We're invited to participate in sufferings, particularly his own sufferings, to face the reality of life and to see all the while the grace is made perfect in weakness. Suffering, as the writer of Romans says, it can be our boast if we face it head on and we journey it through with Jesus, a man who is familiar with suffering. Now, the good news, and we are going to come to it, is that suffering and hardship, not even death, has the final word. Resurrection, hope, finds its origins in hardship. Trust me, we'll get there in a couple of moments. But the truth is, we can't escape suffering. Many of us have suffered this year. Loved ones have been lost. Jobs have been lost. Plans have been absolutely shattered. We are riddled with uncertainty whenever we look to the future. The whole world has experienced a collective trauma and that has trickled all the way down to our locked in and locked down little lives. We've all suffered. And I want you to hear this, not in a trite way. It's okay if you need to grieve. It's okay if you need some space to be able to grieve as you look back over 2020. Grieving, I think, is the natural and adequate response to this strangest of years. We have to give ourselves some time to grieve, to grieve that which we've lost and also the parts of us that have died this year. It can be so easy for us to switch into the Northern Irish setting right now. I'm sure it'll be grand. It'll be fine. I'll get through all of this. But maybe we need to learn to reflect a little bit more Christianly or a little bit more humanly, to look back on everything that's happened this year. Remember Jesus, our leader, he wept over cities. He wept at the graveside of his friend. When reflecting upon the suffering that lay before him, he wept. And in 321 this week, there is going to be a guide to help you process everything that has taken place this year. It's basically a snapshot of everything that I'm talking about this morning. But the first question, it'll help guide you to create some space to process the hardship that we've experienced this year. And I really would encourage you to take some time just to sit quietly for a few moments this Christmas break, to pray to pray a prayer of welcome to Jesus, something like come Holy Spirit, to become more aware of his presence and to give him some space just to minister to you off the back of a really hard year. And in his presence, 
don't rush. You don't need to make anything happen in that space. But notice what is true about you in the year that has passed. Is there a loss that you're grieving? Are there tears that have been waiting to be shed? Is there an emotion that needs expressing? Is there a question that has just been stirring in you? And with all of that, just wait. Don't try to fix anything. But just lay your real self open before Jesus and allow him to minister to you in the quiet. For some of you, this will be unusual. For some of you, this will be actually quite difficult because surely I need to present my best self in the presence of Jesus, right? Why do we so often think that God wants us in our peace but does not want us in our present pain? Remember Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. And as you wait while nothing may be resolved in that moment, the most important thing to recognize is that Jesus is right there, present to us. And that is what empowers us. That's what allows us to keep going, to persevere, the recognition that we're not alone. We're never alone. Jesus is present with us. That is what we've been celebrating in these past few weeks of Advent. And not only is he present with us, but he is one who is also familiar with suffering. He knows our frame. He can sympathize with our pain. And so as you reflect on this year to help you persevere as you look ahead, take time to recognize how present Jesus has been with you in 2020. Clock those moments and simply say thank you. I know that with all of our doom scrolling, it has meant that our attention has been scattered in so many different directions. But in the quiet moments of the next few days, can I really encourage you to recognize where he has been with you? Where have you sensed Jesus this year? Sensed his goodness? sensed his faithfulness. And you know, and I know, we're not out of the woods yet. 2020 is going to, or sorry, 2021 is going to be another complex year, but trust me, the faithfulness of Jesus, a recognition of his company with us, that is what will sustain each of us as we look ahead. Our close friendship with Jesus it will keep us going, but it will also be the thing that changes us. Our close friendship with Jesus along the road of life, that changes our character. Over 200 times in the Old Testament, God is described as being hesed, which is a Hebrew word which can be translated as devoted, faithful, and showing unchanging love. Hesed is an attachment word. It's an intimate word. And we see also in Hosea chapter 6 that hesed is a way of living that God actually desires of us. In Hosea 6, it says this, For I delight in loyalty or hesed rather than sacrifice. We can so often think that our characters, our identities are shaped by what we do, by what we believe, by what we choose. But in fact, our characters are formed simply by who we love. Love 
is our operating system. It arranges our actions and our behaviors towards people or causes or things. I have a Hesed love for M, and as my devotion, my attachment to her grows, it changes my very character, it changes my nature. I act without thinking whenever it comes to her. Whenever I'm faced with a situation, I will always automatically react in such a way for her good. Hesed, devotion, love, it is the foundation for developing character. So let me ask you a question. Do you love Jesus more than you did this time last year? This question, it gets to the heart of it. Because if I love him more, I will become more like him. It's quite simple. I'll change. My character will develop because I want to spend time with him. I want to learn from him. I want to adopt his attributes. I want to learn to worship him more. And in my Hesed love for him, I will be attentive. I will change and grow. Do you love Jesus more than you did this time last year? And if you do, what does that look like for you this year? What allowed your love for him to grow? And if the answer to the question is no for you, if your loves have been misdirected somewhere else this year, I've got some really good news for you. Jesus' nature towards you is always defined by hesed, by devotion, by faithfulness, and by unchanging love. You are invited once again, even off the back of a hard year, to receive that kind of love once again. So... Facing the reality of life, suffering, with an awareness of the presence of Jesus, perseverance through a life of love, character, that leads us in the direction of hope. And I want to spend just a couple of moments unpacking hope for us this morning. I told you we'll get to the good stuff, so we're here. Hope or confidence in the kindness of God, no matter the circumstances. Hope can be defined in so many different ways, but in the New Testament, we see that Christian hope is centered on an event, and that event is the resurrection. Resurrection, which took place on earth, not just the next life in the future. Resurrection, which isn't just a past event, but a present reality. Resurrection is happening right now as the life of Jesus is known and shared with the world. Jesus was radically changed by resurrection, and we can be also. The hope of resurrection is that there is never a full stop after suffering, after hardship, after the coronavirus or even death, because what always follows is Jesus, his resurrection and his life. This is the hope that we hold, that our present troubles can be redeemed, that all things can work out for good, that behold, Christ is making all things new. But resurrection doesn't just happen in a vacuum. Resurrection always follows a death, right? In John chapter 12, Jesus shows us the dynamic of resurrection. He says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And this is where we go full circle. The way of discipleship 
is found in being crucified with Christ so that I no longer live, but that he lives in me. That's Galatians 2.20. And what Paul's talking about here is dying to self, being open to parts of our lives that run in the opposite direction of the life of Jesus, dying so that we can be resurrected, we can become more like him, or we can become our truest selves. Here's the thing. If things are class, there's not going to be a ton of transformation that's going to take place because we're not going to be doing an awful lot of dying to ourselves, right? But in times of suffering, in 2020 times, times whenever we have to relinquish control, times whenever we can't define life on our own terms, times whenever we hurt and have to turn to somebody other than ourselves, times whenever real life happens, those are moments that are ripe for resurrection. I've had to die to myself a lot this year, and I know that that is true of all of us. Our sense of control, our preferences, our rhythms, our plans, our dreams, they've been shattered this year. This year has held a mirror up to where we are at. Our reactions always reveal our character, by the way. And so we've realized that we're not as strong, as healthy, or as holy as we thought. It's been a year of a thousand tiny little deaths as we face the reality of life outside the way that we like it. And either we can just try to get on with it, thinking that this is going to be the way that the world is now. Or we can be the hopeful, open to the resurrection life of Jesus, transforming us, taking hold of our lives. For as a seed falls to the ground and dies, new abundant life springs up from the ground. And Voskamp beautifully puts it like this. What is real living, real believing, real faith? Real living doesn't always feel like living. It can feel like you're dying. It can feel like you're breaking apart and losing pieces of yourself, and you are. You must let your false self be broken, parts of you that you only thought were necessary. You must embrace your union with Christ, bravely surrender, and trust that what is breaking and being lost is never the eternal needed parts of you, but always the temporal needless parts that we're getting in the way of you becoming your real self. I've got some good news for you, for all of you, off the back of a hard year. In those parts of your life that you feel as if you lost bits of yourself, dreams that died, places where you felt yourself being torn apart, perhaps... Those parts of you are tombs that the new life of Jesus is just bursting to break out from. In the way of Jesus, Good Fridays always lead to Resurrection Sundays. Jesus is wanting each of us to experience transformation for us to become like him. The purpose of Christ is for us to become more like him. And so in the spaces that hurt right now, don't get cynical. Don't get hard, but be open to hope because death doesn't have the final word. Resurrection does. Jesus doesn't want to just tweak our character. He wants to transform us. And this year, he has been pretty much on trend. Every hard thing that you've experienced this year can find redemption and resurrection in Jesus. There is hope and there is purpose in hard, difficult things. 
that seed that had to die, it can bear much fruit. Remember, suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Before we worship and pray to close, I want to share one last thing with you about hope. Because there's two moments on Resurrection Sunday which I find just so intriguing. Later in the afternoon, there are two of Jesus' disciples who are walking on a road towards a town called Emmaus, and Jesus comes along beside them and begins talking with them, but they don't recognize him. They don't see him. They don't recognize him for being Jesus. Earlier that morning, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb of Jesus, and she approaches who she thinks is a gardener, only to hear this gardener turn around to her and say, Mary. And she recognizes that this is the rabbi, that this is Jesus. And so she embraces him. But Jesus responds to Mary in the most interesting of ways. He says to her, don't cling to me. Don't hold on to me. For I am yet to ascend to the Father. Question one, why don't the disciples walking towards a mess, how can they not recognize Jesus? Well, as Ronald Rollheiser puts it, they are too focused on his former reality. They're so focused on their former image of him, their former understanding of him, and the way that he was formally present to them, that they are now not open to seeing him as he walks close to them. Question two, why didn't Mary cling to Jesus only for Jesus to say, don't cling to me, Mary? Well, if we had Mary's account, I think she would say this. I never suspected resurrection to be so painful, to leave me weeping with joy to have met you alive and smiling outside an empty tomb with regret, not because I've lost you, but because I've lost you in how I had you, in understandable, touchable, kissable, clingable flesh, not as fully Lord, but as graspily human. I want to cling, despite your protest, cling to your and my clingable humanity, cling to what we had, our past. But if I know, if I cling, you cannot ascend, and I will be left clinging to your former self, unable to receive your present spirit. If you had asked them that morning, the disciples and Mary, they wouldn't have been looking for resurrection, but they would have died to see resuscitation take place, a restoration of the way things used to be, the good old days, the familiar, the nostalgic days of old, what they used to have in the past. But Jesus' way is not found in resuscitation, it is found in resurrection, the offer of a radically new way of living. And at the end of this blinking hard year, particularly with our lives with Jesus. So many of us know what Mary is talking about. We want to cling to the way things used to be. We want to cling to the ways that we used to engage with Jesus and the ways that he used to engage with us. We want to cling to the image that we had of him of the past. We want to get back to the way things were. But in a year of dying, a cruciform year, a Good Friday kind of year, Jesus is not one wanting to resuscitate us. He's wanting to resurrect us. This is our hope. 
We can't just recover the way things were, but in our suffering, it produces perseverance. Our perseverance changes our very nature, and maybe Jesus is drawing us, his church, into a brand new way of living. Resurrection is the new thing that Jesus does. At first, it's unrecognizable. It is always different. It is always surprising, but it is always him. So let me ask you, are you clinging to the way things used to be with Jesus? Are you just wanting a resuscitation of the past? Or are you open to the resurrection of the future breaking into the now? Are you open to Jesus doing a brand new thing? And trust me, in my own experience and in my reading of this book, things always go full circle with Jesus as he redeems that which has been broken and resurrects that which is lost because that is where hope is found. Brothers and sisters, suffering produces perseverance, but perseverance produces character and character always leads hope. Do you want to come on up? So, it's over to you now, you here with us, and you here at home. Your 321 email will guide you through some questions to reflect on on these weird, quiet days. Take your time. Take your time in prayerful conversation with Jesus and also if you want to be daring with your loved ones. And trust me, this is not a self-absorbed exercise because transformation is always for the sake of other people whenever it comes to Jesus. So take time, listen, be open to what the Spirit is wanting to do in you. But let me leave you with this. Resuscitation is the continuation of life that was lived with Jesus on our own terms. But resurrection is a new way of living and it's based on the terms that Jesus sets for us. Life in my terms, Stu Bothwell's terms, it's really nice. It's really pleasant. It's the way that I like it. Jesus acts towards me in a certain way and I act towards him in a certain way. It's the way that we've always done it and it's really lovely, and so I want to keep clinging on to it. But Jesus' words to us, don't cling to the way things were. Don't cling to the way that you had me. Or as the prophet Isaiah would say, but behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Life on Jesus' terms is the life of the kingdom, the God-shaped life assimilated into our everyday comings and goings. It's the heart of Jesus made available to our neighbors, our family, and our community. It's the supernatural ministry of Jesus demonstrated across the region that we love. It's the awakening of the church and the revival of this land. It is the death of injustice and the life of freedom. It is the broken, fragmented parts of the universe coming back together. It is everything being made new. 
in a year where I and you have suffered collectively more than we ever have before, where we've had to die to ourselves. I, right now, on the 27th of December, am full of hope. And why? Because suffering leads to hope. Dying to self creates the conditions for resurrection to take place. And maybe I'm just being bold and courageous, but I think Jesus is doing a new thing. I don't know what it is yet. I, actually, I don't think that's really important right now, but what is important is that I'm open to it. So let's not cling to the way things were, but let's be open to Jesus and a life lived on his terms. If you're able and you're in this room, can I invite you to stand? If you're at home, can I invite you to change your posture? You might want to stand. You may want to step off the sofa for a moment. You might want to just take a moment just to open up your hands. Before we worship and before we close our time together, can I invite you just to take a moment by yourself, just with Jesus, right where you are, whether you're here or at home. And if you've been clinging to the way things used to be, longing for a resuscitation to take place, but recognizing that Jesus is offering something so much more in the stillness of this moment, can I invite you just to confess that before him, to name that, articulate it, to confess it. Just take a moment to acknowledge that you've been clinging on when he invites us to no longer cling. In this moment, what's important is that we don't need to know what the future looks like. We don't need to have it all worked out, but all we need to be is just open and available to hope, available to resurrection, open to a new way of living. So I wanna take a moment to pray for us. And if you, as you look back over this year and look ahead, are just open to Jesus doing his thing, his new thing in your life, in the life of your family, can I invite you just to open up your hands or hold your heart? I'd love to take a moment to pray for us as we come to worship. Jesus, you are the resurrection. You are the life. And thank you that you invite us into a way of living that is based on the life of the kingdom made known to us right now. So Father, forgive us for the moments whenever we have clung on too tightly to the past, clung on to the way things used to be. Lord, we are open right now to you and to the life that you're leading us into. So come, Holy Spirit, fill us once again with hope, and with courage, with the desire to follow you, regardless of where you lead us. Jesus, we are open to you. You are our leader. You are our guide, and we are willing to follow you. And so right now, in this room, in our hearts, and in our homes, I pray that your spirit of resurrection would 
fill us once again and we would be those who anticipate, that live in expectation of what you're doing. Lead us and guide us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to take a moment to worship Jesus, to sing a song that is full of the hope of resurrection. I'll come up to pray for us in just a few moments, but I'm going to hand over to these guys as we worship the King.